Welcome, this is Gary Zacharias with the Apologist Bookshelf. I'm going back to a book that I covered previously as one of my earlier podcasts called Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. Hugh Ross, Kenneth Samples, and Mark Clark are the authors of this. And um, I really, I love science, I love astronomy, and so I put those together with a love of the mystery Anything with uh, it's got some mysterious angles to it, and you've you've hooked me. So lights in the sky and little green men. So it's basically looking from a Christian perspective at UFOs and extraterrestrials. Now I'm going to focus on just one chapter today, called evolution's probabilities. Now think about this: if you've got aliens out there somewhere in the universe, uh, it's got to be because people are very optimistic about the possibility of getting life started. And so you'll, you'll hear stories like this, that as the Earth was forming, and this is going on all over the galaxy, that it was stocked with a diversity of elements and had a crust over it, but had some water. And one day in a tidal pool near one of the planet's seas, kaboom, there's a lightning strike. And some of those complex molecules in that warm pool of water, because of that jolt, recombined in a way that changed that from non-living material to the living material. So there in the rocks, right next to that tidal pool, was the future history of life on that planet. You had simple organisms, and then fish, and then amphibians, birds, and finally intelligent beings just waiting for the forces of evolution to do its work. And so that happened on the Earth, and it happened all across the universe. So intelligent beings on other planets would develop their society and their technology, and then they'd get curious, and they would build some kind of spacecraft to take them from their world to ours. And then there we go. So we can see them up in the sky. He says, uh, how likely is that? Well, these authors say that's, that's a naturalistic belief. There's no God involved, and that if you just got the right mix of simple hydrocarbon molecules in the right pond, or maybe some mud, and you had lightning or some kind of energy input that you end up over time producing a simple organism. And then once you got those organisms going, then they're on the way. They're going to evolve along natural pathways and give us advanced plants and animals, eventually beings like us that can figure out things to propel spaceships and bingo, they're here. So the question, of course, is, are these likely things to happen? So they have four reasons, and we'll talk about each of the four in just a second. They have four reasons that are scientifically established conclusions to say that that's not happening. It's it, The idea that you get evolution is not going to occur as easily and as quickly as many scientists believe. So here are the four reasons, and we'll take a look at each one. Number one, the Earth hasn't been here long enough for life to have risen by natural means. Number two, The conditions weren't right on the early Earth for life to begin naturally. Number three, life couldn't have come to Earth from space. If it can't come starting here on the Earth, maybe it came to us via space. And these three authors say no. And then number four, life is just too complex to have arisen by natural means or anywhere else that you get with these evolutionary stories. So here we go. Number one. Has the earth existed long enough for life to have risen? No. It says the enormous complexity of even just the most basic life form defies description. And so evolutionists understand how slowly existing life forms change 
they need tons and tons of of time, a lot of time. But 1992, a paper came out by a couple of authors who were looking at origin of life, and they argued that life actually began and died out and began again repeatedly on Earth. And that suggests if it can happen that often, that that's rapid appearance of life that seems way more difficult considering how evolution supposedly works. Uh, For example, the way life appeared very early in the Earth's history, here's the story, the, the story that scientists now understand. The lunar meteorites that they've examined let us know that the Earth's crust was molten until about 3.9 billion years ago. So you're not going to get life before then. But fully formed cells are popping up as far back as 3.5 billion years. And limestone, which is made of organic remains, dates back to 3.8 billion years. So in other words, what are they saying? Forms of life existed within 100 million years of the Earth's surface cooling. So Whenever somebody shows you a graph or an illustration of this Earth being here for, let's say, 4 billion years, let's round it off. So you look at that and you think, well, that's a long time. you got 4 billion years to play around and try to get molecules to come together. But you don't have 4 billion years. As they said here, you've got no life and then life within 100 million years. And so life abounded on Earth as early now, they're saying, as 3.86 billion years ago. So now that time window has shrunk to something like 40 million years. And new findings are suggesting the window may be even narrower than that. So maybe 10 million years. Wow. So they said the conclusion is that bombardment from space destroyed the fragile web of life again and again. And yet life popped right back in. How is that possible with evolution being so slow? Okay, so here's a second problem that they say with uh, evolution, this view. Conditions weren't right on the Earth at the beginning for life to pop up naturally. Well, what have scientists said? Well, for a long time, they've had this primordial soup idea. And that's that story I told at the beginning here. You have a warm pond and wet mineral surfaces. They have life-building molecules, and kaboom, lightning or something happens and brings life about. But here's the bad news. All the ideas of these different kinds of soups have failed to produce anything, anything remotely resembling life. They said you just get a random distribution of the very simplest of life's building blocks. And for they give you an example here. Life chemistry demands that Nucleotide sugars have to be right-handed. That means their hydrogen molecules are on one and the same side, and that all the active, well, it says most of the active amino acids, 19 out of 20 of them, have to be left-handed. They have their hydrogen molecule on the opposite side. So they said they've done decades of research, and they've had new technology, and just a ton of lab work gone on. Researchers can't come close to lining up the molecules with the correct handedness. And they can't assemble these molecules in the correct sequence to make life. Oh, that's not good. Well, the existence of the oxygen in the atmosphere also, and the way the ocean was, it guarantees a shutting down of any kind of prebiotic chemistry. So they say, well, what if there's no oxygen on the Earth? Would that help? No. Then you get all sorts of ultraviolet radiation that would penetrate our atmosphere, and that would shut down prebiotic chemistry. So they said either way, that primordial soup explanation for the origins of life fails. 
okay, so then scientists say, well, all right, so maybe it's difficult to get life going on the Earth. Hey, what about life coming from space? That's been an exciting new one, right? So some researchers have turned their hopes to the skies, maybe from the solar system or somewhere else. Maybe uh, life came to our planet, you know, rocks. Uh, we do have some Martian rocks on this Earth. So uh, meteors have blasted out chunks of rock that have made it here. So maybe the opposite could be the case. Martian rocks that had life came to Earth. So maybe it's from the red planet. But the authors point out the same things that rule out Earth as a cradle for life also rule out Mars. Uh, there's intense bombardment, and you've got the oxygen with ultraviolet paradox that they talked about before. So it doesn't work. Right? We're probably not going to have Mars as a source. What about space rubble? Maybe it's comets and meteorites. Right, so maybe they were like taxi cabs. They picked up molecules in interstellar space and carried it to Earth. Yeah, but there's a huge problem. Meteorites and comets would have had to have deliver advanced prebiotics like proteins and DNA and RNA molecules, but they've never found a trace of these molecules or nucleotides or amino acids or sugars. None of them have been found in any meteorite they've recovered. What about life born on the stellar wind? Is that possible? It says life originated somewhere else and just came on the uh, came here via star-generated wind. Because it's true, all stars do have radiation pressure that can push particles. But here's the bad news. Light that intense would have all sorts of ultraviolet radiation. That will kill them, the microbes. Okay, so that doesn't work. So here they say... Um, Astronomers can point nowhere in the universe suitable for life sustenance or origination. So where would these things come from? I don't know. They can't find any place in the universe where life could start and be sent to Earth. Last problem. They call it the complexity problem. So it said a huge gulf separates a few amino acids from the simplest living cell. And years ago, there's a biophysicist named Morowitz. He calculated the size of this gulf. I thought this was fascinating. If you took the simplest living cell and you broke every chemical bond within it, what are the odds that the cell would reassemble itself under ideal natural conditions? He said it would be one chance in a number so big that if you wrote it out, it would take thousands of pages. Wow, think about that for a minute. So it would be one out of and then one with hundreds or thousands of pages of zeros following it. Okay, so that doesn't work very well. Well, naturalists are not discouraged. They've searched for ways to bring the odds more in favor of their belief that life could arise naturally from Earth. So uh, they've, they've tried it. Maybe they said maybe simplest living entities were a lot simpler than what we see today. That would change some of the calculations. Yeah, but organisms below a certain level of complexity just can't survive independently. Okay, well, there goes that. Uh, they've tried suggesting multi-talented RNA, that maybe RNA can work like DNA, could function as a protein, uh, and they've, they've never found anything that uh, works out that way. So toward the end of this chapter, kind of interesting, they said, time to give up? They said, in the face of increasing rather than decreasing challenges to their viewpoint, this community of scientists that work so hard to try to figure out how life got started here, they said they're starting to lean toward directed panspermia, the idea that there's another intelligence out there somewhere, 
and they sent to earth by some unknown means, and we don't know why, but they sent some bacteria, they sent some molecules, they sent some life-producing material. Um, one physicist and author, John Horgan, laments this. He says, Science in its grandest sense, the attempt to comprehend the universe and our place then has entered an era of diminishing returns. And then an interesting way to put it. And he goes on to say, scientists will continue making incremental advances, but they will never achieve their most ambitious goals, such as understanding the origin of the universe, of life, and of human consciousness. So that's pretty gloomy. These authors, though, say, you know, it's a, it starts with the presupposition of naturalism. If you start by saying there's nothing out there beyond matter, space, time, and energy, then the best you can get is what we just talked about here, panspermia or rocks from Mars or whatever, and there, it's just a dead end. And they said, if you're willing, though, to question the presuppositions of naturalism, you're you know, welcome to the scientific method. That's what it does all the time. When an old... Uh, hypothesis fails to produce results, you come up with a new hypothesis. So they said what Horgan was talking about there is not the end of science, it's the limitation of a model, a model that rules out any kind of supernature or supernatural being. So here we go. Life, after all, does exist. We have to face it. It's here. Where did it come from? It had to come from their view and intelligence not within but beyond the universe. So that's what the authors of this book are suggesting. And they said, of course, this book, The Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, this is not the place to consider the divine creation of the universe and of life on earth. So they leave that alone. They said this book is about lights in the sky and little green men, and that's what they're going to focus on. So they talk about all sorts of interesting things in this book. And what they eventually come to, their, their conclusion is that, yes, there are some kind of UFOs that can't be explained, and their suggestion is that it's demonic in um, its origin, not uh, from another planet somewhere else. So I'll cover this book again later on, but um, it's a good one. It's a, it's a lot of fun to read. It's got some good science in it as well, but just to try to figure out what in the world is going on up there, because UFOs and all have been back in the headlines lately. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed that, and uh, we'll certainly do another podcast soon. Thank you.